right, here we go. Please, if you've got a Bible, which I hope you have, whether it's on your phone or whatever, please uh, uh, look at Luke chapter 2. We're going to start talking this morning, our journey towards Christmas. And um, I thought I'd just, this year, I mean, normally we would speak about the worship of the angels and the waiting of the shepherds and the magi and all that kind of thing as part of our Advent thoughts as we think about Christmas. And what I thought I'd do this year is to look at some other people involved in the Christmas story that we perhaps gloss over that are really amazing, amazing people and part of this amazing story of Jesus. And uh, I'm going to look at two people this morning, a widow, an older lady called Anna, and an older man called Simeon. All right, so for all of you that are getting on in your life and you think, God, what do you still have for me to do? Well, let these two stories encourage you, all right? Amazing stories of Anna and Simeon. And uh, Simeon comes first in the story, but I'm actually going to start with Anna. If you remember in Luke chapter 2, Luke opens and says there was a censor, Caesar Augustus, uh, called a census to everyone had to go to their hometown. So Joseph betrothed to Mary, takes her to Bethlehem, his, whole ta- his hometown, so they can be counted. And there, there's no room for them in the inn. And so they're kind of uh, put into this stable or animal enclosure, whatever it was. And then we read of the angels and the shepherds. And after that, after Jesus is born and the birth is celebrated, it's, it talks about, it says, in due time, as was due the custom, Joseph and Mary took Jesus to the temple in Jerusalem as he was the firstborn son, according to the law. They were to take their firstborn son to the temple to be dedicated. And that's what they do. And that's where we pick up on the story of um, Anna and Simeon. So verse 36, we're going to start there, and then we're going to go back a little bit earlier to talk about Simeon. But it says this in verse 36 of Anna. There was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, son of the tribe of Asher. He was, she was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer day and night. And coming up at the very hour, she began to give thanks to God and speak of Him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. So this is these verses introduce us to this amazing woman called Anna. Well, who was she and what part did she play in the story? I love uh, one of the commentators that I uh, sometimes read is a guy called William Barclay, and he describes Anna as one of the quiet in the land. I love that. All the introverts, put your hands up. One of the quiet in the land. She wasn't like a sort of gifted, very gifted, outgoing, obvious person. She was one of the quiet people in the land, and yet God chose this quiet widow who had served faithfully all her life to, to be witness to the most powerful thing that the world has seen. Isn't that encouraging? God chooses the most unlikely people. So you know, her name, Anna, is the New Testament equivalent of an Old Testament name, Hannah. And we sang about grace this morning, didn't we? Well, Anna, Hannah, the root of the word is grace. That's what the word means. Hannah or Anna means grace. It means favor. And she she certainly was favored in in, in the fact that she saw Jesus um, being presented at the temple. And we see her father is Phanuel. And uh, this 
also, this name means the appearance of the face of God. And remember the story of Jacob <coughs> wrestling the angel. Do you remember that story in the Old Testament? <coughs> they, he wrestled the angel at a place called Peniel. <coughs> and so Peniel comes from Peniel. It's the same root word. And it means I have seen the face of God and survived. And so it's wonderful to me because even the name of, of, um, of Faniel speaks about all of us having an f- intimate relationship with God where we can see Him face to face, that that is now possible through the grace of God, through what Jesus has done for us. And we see also that Anna comes from the tribe of Asher. Now, uh, Asher was the eighth son born to Jacob, and the second son born to Leah, uh, her handmaiden was called Zilpha, and she was a concubine, and she bore Asher. And a- Asher simply means happy, right? Happy. Isn't that a delightful name? If uh, someone calls, calls their, their um, son Asher, it, it means happy. And uh, it's really interesting because one of the um, why scholars see this as significant is because what, there, there were certain tribes of Israel that became lost, and they were called the lost tribes of Israel. And um, they're clearly not as lost as many people think they were, because here we see one of the lost tribes of Israel was Asher. Well, here Asher is mentioned in the first century. So perhaps Asher wasn't as lost as we think they were, right? Because here we clearly described um, that she was from the tribe of Asher. So that's something about the, her background. And um, so let me just make a comment or two about her life. I've said so many times now that our theology, how we understand God, must be practical. It must enable us to live and make sense of the world. That's what theology does. It's not just spiritual stuff that has no application to our very practical world in which we live. And so theology is not theory. We must be able to live by it. And all of us are exposed to different things in our lives and different circumstances that shape us personally and shape our responses to different situations. Uh, it's certainly been interesting to me uh, in COVID to see people's theology. It's very been an obvious little mirror for me to see how people really understand God, how they've responded in this COVID pandemic. It's a f- reflection of how they actually understand God and what, what difference their theology is making to their lives and how they actually love other people or they just respond for themselves. Very, very interesting to see theology is so practical. And so here, look at the theology of this remarkable woman, Anna. Her life is marked by sorrow. It characterizes her life. But at the same time, she has this remarkable joy, this remarkable perseverance. She was widowed as a young woman after seven years of being married and was left childless. No husband, no children. And she faced life without the things that would have given her significance in her culture. And she carried those things with her. And we read in the story, when we meet her in the story, she's 84 years old. She's carried that sorrow all her life. And yet, what does it say about her? She never remarried. And for me, I would just be... um, Just say that if that was one of us, maybe many of us would be plunged into a black hole of despair and say, God, why has this happened to me? But she, she, she's remarkable. She doesn't respond in that way. She, she lives in such a positive, persevering, joyful way, and she gives herself, it says, to prayer, fasting, and worship in the temple. And she is anticipating through her life the, 
the coming of Messiah, the coming of grace, what her name means. She's anticipating the coming of grace into the world through Messiah, and she gives herself into a life of worship. And so I want to comment on that thirdly, her priorities. I mean, what we give our time to, what we really give our time to speaks much more about who we are and what we value than what we say. Sometimes it's easy to say stuff, but for Anna, she had a very simple goal in how she wanted to live her life. She wanted to please God, and so she gave herself very practically to do that. And Luke doesn't make any comment about her ministry. He just introduces her as a prophetess. I found that incredibly interesting. He makes it quite clear that this woman, Anna, was a spokesperson for her generation at the age of 84. Now, why do I say that's interesting? Because from the Old Testament, there was a period of 400 years where there was not a prophetic voice in Israel. Malachi was the last prophet to speak in the Old Testament. And then there's a period of 400 years where it says the voice of God was not heard in the land. And here is the first person that's named as a prophetess in the New Testament. An 84-year-old widow who had given herself to hearing God for the people. Isn't that amazing. God chooses the most unlikely. And so we don't know anything of what she said, but it's beautiful. Luke says in verse 37, she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And so it seems like she was a fixture in the temple. You know, if you went to the temple, you would see this, this woman, Anna, living her life, personal devotion in worship and prayer. It was her DNA. It was who she was. And she gave herself wholeheartedly to that. And then we read this amazing thing that her faithfulness is rewarded. After years and years, and this is what I want to point to this morning, she was just doing what she normally did. This was her normal lifestyle, these things of prayer and worship in the temple. She was giving herself to the normal, ordinary priorities that God had called her to. And she meets this remarkable little family from Nazareth. And in this meeting, something incredible is witnessed that she could never have thought of. And so my fourth little comment about Anna is that she was in the right place at the right time. And how often in history don't we read about ordinary men and women who are just living their lives and giving themselves to the gifts that God has given them. And they seem to be remarkably at the right place at the right time. And an amazing result happens out of that. And so Anna was exactly like that. She prepared herself for decades and decades for a life of devotion to God. And in spite of her difficult personal life, in spite of the things that have been really, really tough for her, she finds herself in the right place at the right time, and she meets the Christ that is coming into the world to save the world from its sin. Isn't that amazing? And so... I love the language. You know, the language of the Bible is always so pointed. It says this, uh, verse 28, verse 38, coming up at that very hour. In other words, the hour that was needed for this situation to unfold. At that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and speak of Him who all were waiting, and to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel. Imagine if, um, you know why that's, it's so extraordinary to me because imagine if, if she had done this. Imagine if she had got out of bed that morning and said, you know, God, this morning, man, I've been doing this for 60 years. I'm just really tired this morning. I, I, I just, I, I don't think I'll go to the temple today. 
I think, you know, I deserve a break. <laughs> I mean, I've been doing this this one, one time. I'm not going to go. Just, I'm just going to take a break. I just need some time with my friends, with my family. I'm going to take the day off. Imagine, imagine if she'd done that on that day. Isn't, isn't that amazing? We, we don't always know when that day is going to be, when God is going to do something remarkable. It's just as, as we are doing the ordinary things of the Christian life, remarkable things happen when God chooses to move. Let that encourage you. Um, she would have missed this extraordinary blessing that God had for her, but her faithfulness had positioned her in the perfect place at the very moment that Simeon, this older man we're going to look at now, takes the Christ child into his, from Mary and lifts him up and declares him to be the king and the waited, long awaited for Messiah. Uh, there's a guy called Herbert Lockyer, and he, he wrote a book about some of the women in the Bible, and he says this about Anna, uh, speaking of this situation. This was no co coincidence. Through her long pilgrimage, day after day, Anna went to the temple to pray for the coming Messiah. And though he seemed to tarry, she waited for him, believing that he would come. And then one day, the miracle happened. For as she entered the temple, she heard the sound of joy proceeding from the inner court. And then from the lips of Simeon, she heard the words, Now, Lord, let your servant depart in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation. Isn't that incredible? And for, for Anna, all this faithful worship and devotion culminated in this one extraordinary event of celebration. And then lastly, last little comment about Anna is that she was a witness to this, and then she's a faithful evangelist immediately after that. Do you notice that? She's, she's a, a worshiper, a person of prayer, and immediately she becomes an evangelist when she meets the Christ. We see in verse 38, it says, immediately she begins to speak of all who are waiting for the redemption of Israel. And that's the deal, isn't it? If you hear really good news, you don't want to keep it a secret. If you have good news, you want to tell someone. You want to share the joy that you have with other people. And she had seen with her own eyes that redemption had come to Israel. And the first thing she wants to do is she wants to speak to other people and say, yes, the redemption we've been longing for is here. I've seen, seen him with my, my own eyes. And um, I was just looking at the translations for redemption in the New Testament. There are three words in the New Testament that have uh, talk about redemption. The first is a Greek word, agorazo, and then it's, there's another related word, exagorazo, and there's a third word, luo. And they all speak of slaves being set free. They're all in the context of slavery, these three words, that speak about being redeemed. In other words, slaves were brought into a marketplace, and they were redeemed. They were bought back. They were set free. And so the picture is for us is when the Israelites were thinking of the redemption of Israel, what, what, what is the picture? It's, it's really speaking about the condition of all of humanity, that all of us are slaves. We're slaves of sin. We can't set ourselves free. There's nothing we can do to set ourselves free from our sinful nature. And we need to be brought back. We need to be redeemed. We need to be, the, the word in, in Greek for redemption in terms of salvation is lutrosis, which is the same root word for slavery. Slaves being set free by the power of Jesus. And that's why we use the language in Christianity, we are no longer slaves to sin. We are now have a new master, a righteous king who loves us. We're not slaves to sin anymore. We've been saved, redeemed, lutrosis, brought back from the slave market of the world and brought into the kingdom of light in the precious name 
through the blood of Jesus. Does that make sense? That's exactly what redemption means. We are set free from slavery. And there's an amazing picture, which I always, when I read it, I'm absolutely stunned. Do you remember an Old Testament guy called Hosea, one of the prophets in the Old Testament? Well, he has a wife called Homer, a Gomer rather, who um, is a prostitute. And he, 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 as a picture of what God wants to do for Israel, he marries this woman and he goes to the slave market and he buys her back for himself. And he says, I will make you mine. I will rescue you from that life so that you can be my wife. And we will live as husband and wife. And it's an incredible picture of what Jesus does for us through the power of his blood. He enters the slave market of the world where humanity is an absolute slave to sin, and he buys us back for himself, and he says, you are mine, and I will be your husband. That's the picture. That's what salvation is. This is the good news of the gospel. So Anna, after all these years of waiting for Messiah, she now finds that there's a living babe that she can see, and she knows the Messiah has come. So she can't help. The first thing she has to do is tell everybody. See, redemption has come. And that's really, surely, as we anticipate moving forward to Christmas, surely what we celebrate is this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. That's really what we're celebrating. The incarnation, the coming of Messiah as a babe, so that we can be set free. And so... It's very easy to forget that reason for our celebration, uh, but we need to remind ourselves that actually, even as we celebrate Christmas, the reason we celebrate the babe is because our sin demanded payment, and God made a plan to redeem us and buy us back for himself through what he did through the birth of his son. So I want to encourage you, this Christmas time, if you've experienced the good news, if you've experienced redemption yourself, Will you give yourself to telling as many others as you can? Good news is for what Jesus has done for you. And demonstrate that through your life to other people. That's the first little picture. Anna, an amazing, amazing woman. Older woman, and look what God did for her. Now I just want to make some comments about Simeon. Because in the story, if you go back to verse 25, if you read with me, we read of this guy called Simeon is also another important person in this little picture that we see. It says there was a man in Jerusalem, his name was Simeon, and this man was righteous, devout, and waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. You know, just as Anna seemed to be part of the furniture in the, in the temple, it seems like Simeon too was part of the furniture. He was always there. Uh, he was there as, lo as long as anyone could remember. He kept on showing up, honoring God, and waiting for the promise of God for the redemption of of Israel. And here, I just want to make some comments about how Luke describes him. Three little words. He says, this is, this is Simeon's reputation amongst the people. It says he was righteous. Now, in the broadest sense of what righteous means, it means someone who's upright and is obedient to God. But it also speaks of someone who lives their life on God's terms, not on their own terms. Uh, we, we need to be looking at the world on God's terms, not on our terms, and living in God's agenda, not just our own agenda. And the, in a narrower sense, uh, the Strong's Corners uh, describes a righteous person who does this. 
someone who deals appropriately and fairly with other people. I love that. It's an interesting in the light of my message last week and in the light of how we respond now with all the, what is, what is, what is a righteous person's response? What is loving and fair and appropriate and deals equally with all people? That's what righteousness is. Be good to bear that in mind. Not, as, not just what is good for me and right for me. What is good for all of the people of the land? Righteous people want to do what is good for everyone. Amen? Yeah, of course. This is plain righteousness. And this is simply what uh, Simeon is described as a righteous man, and that's a noble thing. Secondly, it's, he's described as devout. That speaks of someone who reveres God through their lives and their choices. Righteousness uh, has to do with obeying God, but devotion has something to do with honoring God. And that's also really significant. That's an accolade to someone to call you, say of you, you are a devout person. It means that you honor God in your motives and how you live. And there's, a, there's an obvious sense of worship. That's a different thing of just obeying God. You know, we can, we can obey out of fear, not devotion. There's something deeper that devotion calls, demonstrates in our lives. It's a love response. It's a, it's a God, you're worthy. And that's why I obey, because I'm love you. I'm devoted to you. It's a different motivation. Thirdly, it says he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. That simply means he was also waiting for Messiah. That's the reference that I've spoken already about Anna. He had that same motivation. He was waiting for Messiah to come. And I was just thinking about this this week. You know, many of us can look, uh, live our lives a little bit in, in looking in the rearview mirror um, and just, you know, uh, thinking of things that have gone wrong or things that didn't go for right or dwelling on the past where it was pain for us. And yet, uh, Simeon didn't do that. He's an older man. It's, he's always anticipating forward. He was looking forward all the time to the consolation, the redemption of Israel. He was anticipating Messiah. He wasn't looking back at the pain of all that Israel had been through. He was saying, no, I recognize that, but I'm looking forward. I'm anticipating what God has, and I want to move forward. And as lastly, it says about uh, Simeon, I find this fascinating. The Holy Spirit was upon him. Do you notice that? The Holy Spirit was upon him. Why is that interesting? Well, we know from Acts 2 that Pentecost comes and then the Holy Spirit is poured about on all people, all right? Everyone. And there's the Spirit, uh, uh, the, the prophecy of Joel, which, which um, speaks about that. But until this point, up until this point, the Holy Spirit largely in the Old Testament was only on certain people for certain tasks that God had called them to do. So, for example, remember the story of Samson. It says every time he has incredible strength, it says the Holy Spirit comes upon him and gives him this incredible strength to defeat his enemies. And here, what is so fascinating about Simeon is before the Holy Spirit is poured out on all people, he's experiencing before the cross, before the outpouring, of the, the outpouring at Pentecost, there's the blessing of the Holy Spirit that is upon Simeon's life in a tangible way. That's incredible. So I was thinking about this. If, if someone had to f describe you in a couple of words, three words, what would they be? If someone was to describe me in three words, what would they be? I know what I would like them to be. <laughs> but what would they be? What would be the sort of accolade over my life? What would be the accolade over your life? You see, these things of Simeon are genuine. They're real.
Sorry, oops, sorry about that. The battery died. Um, so they describe Simeon, uh, these things about him that are real and absolutely speak of his life of um, devotion and love for God. And it's to that kind of person, this kind of man, Simeon, that God gives this amazing promise in verse 26 of chapter 2. If you read it, it says, It had been revealed to Simeon by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Wow. Isn't that amazing? So God had promised this devout man, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you will not die until you see Messiah. Now I wonder, he was old. I wonder if he ever had moments of God, I'm getting on now. Are you sure you, sure you spoke to me? I mean, um, I'm really old, and yet God is faithful to his word. And he brings uh, Simeon to see Is this, it's not helping me this morning. Okay. <laughs> Lastly, Simeon, Simeon hoped in Jesus. And uh, it's, it's much more than a sort of sentiment, sentiment, sentimentality. It's like a, a rugged hope. And biblical hope has that, that ability to empower us in a deep, deep way as we move through our lives. And the reason for this is because we have an object of our hope who is living. And that's why we've called the series that we're doing in 1 Peter, Living Hope. Because the hope that we have is a living Christ, and that's a significant base in our lives that we can, we can move from, and we can deal with anything that life throws at us as we move forward. And so for hundreds and hundreds of years, the Jewish people had comforted themselves with the hope that one day Messiah would come. And so God draws a line in the sand and says, Simeon, in your life you will see Messiah. Isn't that incredible? It's just an amazing, amazing thought. The fantastic promise that this man had that he would see Messiah personally. And that's how that promise radically affected his life and how he viewed his life and how he lived his life. And that's why he spent this time with God anticipating he was going to see Messiah come. And Jesus really makes that promise to all of us if we will he hear his voice. He simply says that he's come to give us life and that we might have life in all its fullness. He wants that same full life for all of us. And so he offers that and Simon, uh, Simeon experienced that and the Spirit was with him. And it says this in verse 27, And he came in the temple and when the parents brought the, in the Jesus child to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you prepared in the presence of all people. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Isn't that amazing? Even in Simeon's prayer, before, before the cross, he's saying, this Messiah is for all the Gentiles as well as for the people of Israel. And so his response is amazing. It's one of contentment, absolute satisfaction, and the promise that had driven his life and motivated him for so long had now been fulfilled. This is a wonderful, miraculous good news for Simeon. It's the culmination of all that he's been waiting for. Last thing I want to say. Implicit in what Simeon, the joy that Simeon is feeling... There's some bad news for Mary. 
Isn't that how life is? Sometimes simultaneously really good news, and then also some things that we have to deal with that are not so good. She was about, Mary was about to embark on this wild adventure, which would have an incredibly painful end for her as a mother. And Luke points to that right at the beginning. As we're celebrating the birth of this Messiah, this child, in verse 34, Luke says this, Simeon blessed them and said to his Mary's mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of men in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. See, that's why I said when we think, think about Christmas, we also have to think about the cross, because it's the first part of the process, and, and this is exactly what Simeon is saying in his, in his words to Mary, that Christ has appeared to save the world, and this great celebration, great joy, great happiness that we celebrate with all of our hearts. But the final steps would be Mary standing before the cross, weeping and looking at the body of her son and wondering just how any of that was to make sense for anybody. And there we have the Christ on the cross paying for the sins of the world. So we see the cradle at Christmas, and we also see the cross. Simeon's news for Mary in the midst of that joyful celebration. Can you imagine when you, if you were dedicating your child and a, someone came to you and said, at this moment of joy, I just want to say to you that a sword is going to pierce your own heart as a mum. Can you imagine how hard that's to hear? In that moment, that's what happened for Mary. And so she, she had experienced pain in giving birth to this amazing child, and she would experience pain in releasing him to die, a death for all people. And I wonder, you know, as Jesus grew, Mary must have more and more reflected on those words of Simeon. What did they mean? What was going to happen? How would her life be marked with uh, sorrow, and uh, how was she anticipating that? But uh, just as Simeon's life had been different, her, her life also was going to be a different kind of life. So I want to encourage you as we think about uh, the Christmas story, let's reflect upon both parts of these amazing stories. The joy of the birth of, of Jesus, all that that meant, how that was anticipated, and yet at the same time, holding our hearts that it's the cradle makes the cross possible. And we too need to bear that in mind as we look forward. So what of your celebrations this Christmas? What of my celebrations this Christmas? Will, our, will our, our, our celebrations reflect joy, contentment, gratitude, or discontentment, anger, moaning, wah, 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 wah? Hey? Got a stark choice right now. Are we going to are we going to respond with joy and optimism, thanking God for the future that He has for us, or are we going to be just disappointed and moaning that uh, things might not be like we had hoped for? Surely, this is the heartbeat of the gospel. I am His, and He is mine, and that is enough. <laughs> I hope I do get to eat some good food with my mates and my friends and my family. But if it changes again, you know what? Jesus is enough. He's enough. 
We get to remind ourselves of that every time we look at uh, Christmas and how we celebrate. That's the heart of every day of the year. Certainly, it's the heart and the joy of the gospel. And I want to encourage you, as the spirit of this age just is relentless in pulling our hearts in so many different ways, commercialism, consumerism, mass consumption, all these things that we know are happening. The heart of Simeon reminds us that there is something more than just more. Does that make sense? There's something more than just more of everything. There's Jesus. He's the Christ. And his promise to us is, I will never leave you or forsake you. And I want to remind you of that this Christmas time. Whatever happens, however it looks, there's one who sticks closer to you than a brother who's promised, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you, and I am with you even till the end of this age. And that's what we celebrate at Christmas time. God is good and kind and generous in every way. And I pray that all of us in this church community would know unique contentment in our hearts this Christmas that comes because we know him. And he makes us content in all things. I can do all things, says Paul. Through Christ, who strengthens me. All things are possible. So my friends, lift up your hearts. If you've got a friend who's a little bit hands are down, help lift their hands up. Help lift their vision up. We can do this. God is with us. He's promised he'll never forsake us or leave us. And that's what we celebrated this Christmas. He's come to the world to rescue us from something we could not rescue ourselves from. He's brought us back from the slavery we had to sin. He's given us a new hope and your future, and just as Anna and Simeon joyfully celebrated that, I want to encourage you to joyfully celebrate that this Christmas in, deeply in your hearts, knowing that God is with you. Amen. Jonathan, do you want to come with the band? Let's just finish our time together. With the heart of worship, just saying that we love him for all that he is and all that he's done. And then I want to invite you for coffee or tea. And we're going to join some fellowship together. Let's pray. God, I just want to thank you for the simplicity of the Christmas story. Thank you for these amazing ordinary people that were so part of the story. The ordinary shepherds, Anna, Simeon so many others that just were witnesses to this extraordinary thing that changed the world forever. As you came and made yourself, humbled yourself and took on the form of a babe and gave yourself to the world to buy it back for yourself. What a beautiful picture. And we want to celebrate that with all our hearts this morning. We thank you, Lord, most of all for each other. Thank you for friends. Thank you, Lord, for community. Thank you for those that love us. Encourage us just as you, by your Spirit, encourage us. And I pray this Christmas that every heart in this community will be lifted up and that we know deep contentment that comes from you, knowing that we can joyfully face the future because you are with us. And there's a deep contentment that comes knowing you as our Lord and our Savior. And so we bless you this morning. Everyone says, Amen. Amen.